Umpire fans and welcome to the Leading Edge, where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. Joining me on this episode is longtime Baseball Canada umpire and supervisor and winner of the Dick Willis Umpire of the Year Award, David Cass. Topics we look to cover are umpiring in the New Brunswick Senior Baseball League, how to admit that you've made a mistake, and we find out if Dave believes in Sasquatch. So sit back, relax, get ready. It's coming. Hello, baseball and umpire fans, and welcome back to another episode of The Leading Edge, where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. Now, before we get going, I want to send a big thank you to everyone who's been on our Facebook page and has been sharing and liking our statuses. This week, we tried our first swag giveaway, some stickers. It's quite simple. If you would like Leading Edge stickers, go to our Facebook page, look for Leading Edge Umpire Stories, like our page, follow our page, and share it. Then send me your address in the inbox, and I will send you some stickers that you can put on your chest protector, on your toaster. I don't care as long as you show them off with pride and love because you're part of the umpire family. They'll end up in your mailbox. Now we have a fantastic episode coming up on the leading edge. But before we get there, let's just do a quick recap of episode six with Matt Shule. My first at bat ever was a walk. You got to get on, right? Why is this a question? (laughs) Is he, he's a maritimer almost, isn't he? You know, it it got a little emotional there. It was quiet in that van. We all want to perform at the best of our abilities. We all want that national ticket. Every national championship is a gift. This uh, blow-up companion is purchased by our driver. And we gave it a name, by the way. Her name is Patty. Right now, I think the place to be is honestly Nutana Diamonds in Saskatoon. No offense, Gary. I love you. At the end of the day, you just got to remember why you started. I'm I'm a bird. Let me fly. As you can probably tell, we had some great conversations, shared some fantastic stories, and threw some jabs at one another on episode six of The Leading Edge. So if you want to catch that episode, you can find it on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, and of course, Spotify. Now, if you're over there cruising the Spotify, you can also check out our updated entrance theme and time-worthy playlist. Now, you're probably asking, what is a time-worthy song? Well, essentially, it's a song that you're willing to stop and hold the game for to let play out a little bit longer. Or a song that would be considered your entrance theme, say, as you walked on the field. We've had some fantastic selections so far. So if you're interested in finding that, just go to Spotify, search for Leading Edge Umpire Stories Playlist, and enjoy. We're just a couple minutes away before we talk with this episode's guest, David Cast. But before we talk shop, I have something I want to talk to you about. Mental illness or mental health affects all Canadians at some time throughout their life, whether it be a family member, friend, or colleague. In any given year, one in five people in Canada will personally experience a mental health problem or illness. Mental illness affects all people of all ages, education, income levels, and cultures. By the age of 40, about 50% of the population will have 
or have had a mental illness. Unfortunately, suicide accounts for 24% of all deaths among 15 to 24 year olds and 16% among those 25 to 44 years old, with suicide being one of the leading causes of death in both men and women from adolescence to middle age. When it comes to suicide, the reality is this doesn't have to happen. For anyone listening, if you're going through a difficult time, please understand that you are not alone. There are people and professionals out there that are willing to help. One number is the kids help phone. It's not just specific for children. It can be used by anybody. That number is 1-800-668-6868. That's 1-800-668-6868. If you're having a difficult time, call that number. They have trained counselors and people who are willing to listen and more importantly, willing to help. Well, now it's time. Time to move on to why you're really here. So without further ado, I'm proud to introduce to you guest seven on the leading edge, longtime Baseball Canada umpire, supervisor, winner of the Dick Willis Umpire of the Year Award, and a man who prefers polka dots over plaid, David Cass. David, welcome to the leading edge. Hey, Phil. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for coming. I appreciate it. So, David, welcome to the Leading Edge. We're getting into our seventh episode, lucky number seven. You've been set up on a previous episode by the man named Trevor Drury. So, hopefully, you can live up to his expectations. I'll see what I can do. So, Dave, <laughs> <laughs> this should be fun. Let's start off by hearing about your playing resume or your scouting report. Okay. Well, I, st- I played young fellow like most kids do started with hockey but then switched over to baseball played up till midget played midget double a i think my last year we went to an atlantic championship that was sort of as far as the road was going to go went from there and actually switched over to umpiring and it worked out it probably worked out in the best because i think i went a lot further as an umpire than i would have ever as a player fair so you played some midget double a baseball you say you moved yep. over from hockey well, I, I, I started out, uh, you know, like most kids in Canada, I, I think I could skate by the time I was about three years old and, you know, right on up through until uh, I got to high school. And that was sort of it for uh, for the hockey. But uh, picked up baseball a little bit later. Uh, I don't think I played in Mosquito. I think I picked it up in uh, Pee Wee and played on up to through till midget. Fair. What position did you play? I was a utility player. I was all over the place. Uh in true fashion, I donned the, the tools of ignorance on the catching end of it as well. Uh, played goaltender when I was in hockey. So I guess the natural progression was to pick up the mask and the shin pads for uh, for uh, umpiring as well. And funny story, uh, when I, my first ever chest protector under my shirt was actually uh, my goaltender equipment. Took the arms off of it. So un- you put your goaltender chest protector under your equipment? Under under my shirt. Under your shirt. So uh, you... For for umpire, I used it on the plate. So that was you were more of an AL fan, was it, or is that the NL? Uh, yeah, I actually, to be honest with you, I am. Uh, even though I'm an American League uh, a fan, my strike zone uh, was probably closer to a National League strike zone. <laughs> Favor the pitcher, did you? I, I give him down low. He like you know, if they kept it low, that was we were going to work with it. You got to find something that works for you. And obviously you've been in the game this long. It must've worked for you. Yeah, yeah, Something did anyways. (laughs) So you've made the transition from playing over to umpiring. How many years have you been involved with the umpire circuit? I started when I was 15. So that puts me at about 32 years now. 
you know, started out, you know, not doing the, the fancy stuff, eventually worked their way on up. Yeah, 32 years. It surprised me when I did the math here in the last couple of days to figure it out. <laughs> Took you a few days to figure it out, did you? Yeah, I, had to, I didn't have enough fingers and toes, so I had to get some pen and paper. to. <laughs> so you started doing some grassroots baseball. Yes. Do you have any memorable yep. provincial championships? When it comes to the provincials and that, I mean, not specific memories about any particular event or tournament, but one thing, and, and Darren Scott and I kind of reminisce about this, early on, there would be times where we would start on a Friday and probably work 10 to 12 games over the three days of, of a tournament, whether it be provincials or anything. You know, we were kind of the, the Iron Men back then. Now, we talked on a previous episode about having someone that you grow up with umpiring really making a big difference. Was Darren that person for you? Yeah, uh, Darren was. We we came, there's a one-year age difference between us, and we came up through the ranks together. You know, we were always there kind of pushing the other one, helping the other one. Yeah, Darren and I were the ones that, that uh, really came up together, and, and it really helped. We had one another to bounce things off of or work together. Or And just for our listeners, Dave, whereabouts are you from? I'm from Fredericton, born in Oromocto, or otherwise known as the town of Four O's, uh, the model <laughs> town, CFB Gage town, for, would probably be what mo- most people would be familiar with as being sort of the, the center of the of the town. But uh, basically, I grew up in Fredericton, which is 20 kilometers away, the capital here in New Brunswick. Been here all my life. I thought you were about to say the center of the universe, and we know that is Toronto, so I was going to have to tell you <laughs> we were wrong on that one. Now, moving on for provincial championships... You're well known to be around the Baseball Canada National Circuit. How many national championships have you been involved with over the years? <clears throat> Between Baseball Canada, SEBA, and uh, one international, I've been to 25 uh, events. As I was going to say, is both an umpire and supervisor. Excellent. So obviously you've been around the game a long time. You bring a lot of knowledge and wisdom to the Baseball Canada program. But you mentioned one word. You mentioned SEBA. Would you care to explain to us what SEBA is? Yeah, well, SEBA, it, it doesn't now, it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, it was the Canadian Intercollegiate Baseball Association. Uh, it was mainly from eastern Ontario, with the Toronto area, east through the Atlantic provinces, universities and colleges. But they have now morphed over into a different organization. And to be honest with you, uh, I don't know exactly what they call themselves now, but it's, uh, it's a different organization altogether. It still involves most of the same schools and then picked up a few that were in a different uh, sort of under the OUA, Ontario University Athletics. So they kind of merged together. Yeah, because I know out here in the western part of the country, Canadian College Baseball Conference, the CCBC. Now, is that spring ball? I'm going to cheat here. I was on the internet interweb. Uh, the Canadian College of Baseball Conferences looks like one of the spring baseball leagues. Yeah, the, the, the university baseball in the East here is is a fall ball. Okay. So they play up until about Halloween, which can make for some uh, cold evenings. Yes, I, I remember <laughs> trick-or-treating in my lawn johns. Yeah. What you're telling us is you spent a lot of nights at the ballpark after Labor Day. Definitely. Here's a toughie. Why'd you get into umpiring, Dave? Well, this is probably not an unfamiliar story. Shortage of umpires. Actually, when we're playing baseball, uh, our coaches a lot of times were the ones that assigned baseball uh, umpires. So, uh, you know, it starts out as a favor. I need a hand. And then eventually it just it worked into a, a regular thing. Here in Fredericton, uh, probably a name that some may know who's passed on quite a few years ago now, but Chris Bubba McPherson. He was uh, one of the ones that looked after uh, minor baseball in Marysville. 
which was, for lack of better terms, a, a, it was a, a standalone village at one time, but now it can be, became part of Fredericton. But uh, between him and in Nashwaxis, which is another part of Fredericton and uh, Fredericton South, they all had individual uh, signers who eventually, once they realized Darren and I were a couple of people that were available almost all the time, it started all three associations uh, assigned us and then uh, eventually grew into something that we said, well, you know, maybe we can go a little bit further with this and then worked our way up from there, uh, found out who to see, what clinics to go to, and uh, the rest is a bit of history. Now, it was one of those scenarios, call one, get the second to tag along. In some cases, yeah, it was pretty much, uh, in most cases, if Bubba called, it was usually, you know, you and Darren around. <laughs> yeah, yep. <laughs> and same with the others, they would call and it, sometimes they'd coordinate with one another as not to uh, step on one another's toes. So sometimes the assigners almost did the assigning behind the screen and then just called us and let us know, know what field to go to. <laughs> right. Besides Darren, who were some of the other umpires who came up through the ranks with in New Brunswick? Some of the ones that got... Uh, that, that sort of gave Darren and I some of the skills that we have, like the Dave McManus, uh, which would be another, it would be a name that a lot of people probably be familiar with. Uh, Neil Thorne, they were real, uh, you know, guiding lights for us to sort of took, took us under their wings. Uh, another one like that would be Fran McHugh from St. John was another one that really helped out uh, along the way, local people. People from around here that uh, we came up with, Jamie Moore, Yep. He's uh he's our age. Uh Jamie's back into the program again. He had been out for a while for work and family and all those things. Mike Dusets. Uh from your neck of the woods, uh Brian Cummings, Miles yep. Brito, we've been working with for for many moons. A lot of experience yeah. in those names right there, that's for sure, guys. Yeah. Now you spent a lot of time umpiring in New Brunswick, or one of the big leagues where umpires can show off their skills is the New Brunswick Senior Baseball League. Definitely. And you coming from Fredericton, you've probably had a lot of busy nights up there on the baseball hill. Friday nights, usually, yes. <laughs> Do you have a favorite park to work in in the province? I've got two, and it may uh, may upset some people because Fredericton's not it. I think that's only natural. You work in a park for so long that I won't get, say get tired of it, but I have to say Kiwanis Park in Moncton and, I mean, Ironman Park in Chatham. Hands down. I mean, the two of those fields are just, they're special, to be honest with you. Probably two of the better fields in the Maritimes. Every field on that circuit, I think, is special and unique in one way. Everyone puts a lot of effort and time and maintenance into all those fields. Baseball is a big deal in New Brunswick. Yes, and definitely. We can start, say I originally come up through the Miramichi area, worked a lot of games over there at Ironman Park has a little Fenway feel with a big wall out in left field. Yeah. And then gets deep. Uh, yeah, that was one of the things when I was, I, I said to myself, it's it, it's like a little Fenway for those that aren't familiar with it. I mean, it is the towering left field wall uh, that goes around and drops down to a lower wall and comes around. Yeah, it's and the atmosphere at Ironman Park is just insane. Yeah. There's just a, if Thursday nights, it's the fixture in the town when you work in that park. It is, it's a hopping place. The lights come on and everybody knows Thursday nights, there's a ball game. So. No question. And Chatham was the host of the senior nationals in 2019. They were the national champions. And I think I was at that game. I was currently living in Saskatchewan, but I was back home at that time. And I was at that game. And I wouldn't say there'd be short of 3,500 people in a spot that could hold 1,900. Yeah. 
Well, and funny that I was there as well, and I'd been up for a couple of days. I'm kind of like a bad rash at some of these things. Uh, they just can't get rid of me. I just show up. So uh, seeing it was that close to home, and I wasn't away anywhere, so uh, I showed up. In the gold medal game, I made the decision to leave early because I didn't want to spend as much time getting out of the parking lot as it would take me to drive to Fredericton, which is, for those that aren't familiar, about a two-hour drive. It was crazy the amount of people there so to maybe pat a guy on the back darren scott got the opportunity to work that gold medal game yes darren did and well deserved well earned he uh, put in the work and paid off and more credit to darren as well he's worked gold medal in the pan am games as well not on the plate but right. third base i believe with canada playing which is quite unusual in an international tournament that was 2015 wasn't it when it was held in, in toronto in toronto yes Darren was working third base in 2015 when Peter Ora came around and scored an extra innings in a very climatic fashion to give Canada the gold medal. And if memory serves me correct, the next year, a picture of that run was featured on the 2016 cover of the Baseball Canada rule book. I think so, yeah. It was, uh, it was a big achievement for him. I was so proud. It's always nice when your partner or someone you come up with excels because it really speaks to the healthy competition amongst umpires and how we look out for each other. 100%. This is a post-show edit. If you want to see that run and Darren working third base, find the link in our episode description. Okay, let's get back to Castman. But back to the park, one thing that I remember working Ironman Park, let's be honest, is how close the fans are. Oh, they're on top, yeah. <laughs> and just the way it's built makes it feel so cozy, let's call it. Yeah, I can work with Cozy. That definitely speaks to it. Now let's move to Kiwanis Park, another fantastic park. Yeah, that that's just like a minor pro park. Uh, they they've hosted a couple of world uh, champions there, championships there, and uh, you know each time they've hosted one, they've done a little bit more work, and uh, that that it's just like a minor pro park. Something you would see if you went to spring training camp, you know, an A or double A team. It's a, it's a beautiful facility. Now working all those years in the senior baseball league, there must be some big names and stories that you would like to share with us? Well, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to uh, to work Jason Dixon in the senior league. Came along a little after Matt Stairs. Matt had moved on. Riel Cormier had moved on. Though I was still there when Riel came back to do a conditioning stint prior to the 2008 Olympics. I didn't get assigned any of those games, which was fair. Uh, some of the younger guys uh, got the opportunity. Some names like uh, Derek Wilson would be one that probably most people in the uh, in base, involved with Baseball Canada will be familiar with. Guy, a journeyman, or not, I shouldn't say journeyman, but in a sense, he's play, I think he's played on every team in the league uh, yep. over the years. He's moved around. If uh, you know he doesn't make the fit into one team, there's always somebody that's got room for him. He usually gets picked up come national time, regardless of whom he's playing for. So. And I think he's the all-time leader in home runs in that league, if I'm not mistaken. And probably in innings pitched as well. He can put the time on the mound. Now, Dave, you mentioned the name Jason Dixon. For everyone listening, Jason is currently the president of Baseball Canada. He grew up in Chatham, New Brunswick, and pitched for the Chatham Ironmen, a team and ballpark we've already talked about here on this episode. He was drafted back in 94 by the California Angels, and now known officially as the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, of course. Jason is a former All-Star and represented the Anaheim Angels back in 97 at the All-Star game. He also did finish third in Rookie of the Year voting back in 97 and lost it to Nomar Garcia-Para. Now, Jason is long retired, but there is one pitch of his that will remain in infamy in Major League Baseball. 
And that bitch being, if everyone remembers the famous Jim Edmonds catch where Jim turns around, catches the ball over his back, they say it's possibly the greatest catch of all time. Well, Mr. Jason Dixon is the individual who delivers that pitch. We're going to attach a link to that video so you get a chance to watch it. I'm sure you've seen it before. But if it wasn't for Jason Dixon, we wouldn't have that beautiful catch. So thanks, Jason. (laughs) (laughs) If you ever get a chance, ask him if he ever gave up any home runs in Yankee Stadium, too. He's got a good story about one of those. Now, coming from an umpire perspective, we talked that senior league. How does that senior league help umpires in New Brunswick? Oh, wow. That's, that league is so invaluable to us, or valuable, or however you want to say it. It's just it's phenomenal for us to have that here. The caliber of ball is phenomenal. Uh, the intensity is right top shelf. Yep. Uh, it's a three-umpire uh, league throughout the year. Particular playoffs uh, series will go to four. But having a consistent uh, three-umpire uh, system to work all year, many of the games are supervised. So the feedback is provided each game. Game management is it's huge for the development of our umpires. Uh, it brings game management in all the time. Like there, there's just no game that goes on in that, in that league that isn't an important game, that doesn't have uh, the intensity of almost a playoff game. Good crowds, um, you know, Moncton, sometimes 1,500, Fredericton, six 700, Chatham, depending on what's going on, can be 1,500 to 2,000. You know, it's, uh, it's a great league. It's a great league, and it also, uh, for us, it's a travel league, too. Our umpires move around, so you're not always in your own park anymore. You move around, uh, work crews, and uh, it really brings the experience of how to manage outside of just leaving your house and going to the park. It's a, it's a real valuable tool for us here. Now, you mentioned a lot of the games are supervised. Who looks after that aspect of the game? Uh, it's been me for the last few years. Uh, we set it up as a developmental uh, thing with hopes of it, uh, you know, being able to pass it on down through. But we did it in conjunction with the Senior League. Okay. Um, we work with them, so it's uh, it's uh, a partnership, so to speak. Uh, you know, it works for both ends. I mean, right. obviously, we get uh, supervisors on uh, on many of the games, so the feedback is there. But also, they benefit from the fact that uh, you know most of their games are being supervised. Uh, in the playoffs, it's a requirement must be a supervisor at every game. You know, you're also considered sort of that extra set of eyes. So if something happens, uh, you know, the league right. works with us as well. It, it's It's been a good partnership. It's been really good for both of us. It allows them to know that things are being looked after and that, you know, we're taking it seriously too. Now, it's fantastic that you've developed a great relationship with the league because that's really important to getting better umpires within our system. Yeah. A lot of people don't appreciate the work that umpires actually do to become better umpires or to be the best umpire that they can be so that they can provide them a quality product on the field. No question. And and it also helps us from the supervisory point of view for that reason as well, because all the guys uh, pretty much are course conductors through the Baseball Canada caravan system. Okay. So what it does is also allows us some extra you know, practical time. Um, with Darren and I both being uh, master course conductors, da- uh, Donnie Esty is also uh, helps out, who's a course conductor as well. What it does is allows us to actually help out the up-and-coming supervisors with critiquing them on their supervisory. Give credit to uh, Darren and uh, Mike uh, Doucette 
for coming up with the idea. And I very rarely miss AGMs or umpire meetings, but I have, I think I was in the States with the St. Thomas University for hockey. I got voluntold into the position. <laughs> I wasn't there. Years and years ago, I made an impassioned uh, comments at, uh, at a meeting that somewhere's down the road, somebody's got to be a bad, you know, we need somebody to be the bad guy to tell people that, you know, this is where you stand and this is where you stand. And if we ever get to the point, we want to do this and I'll be the guy to do it. And well, they remembered that. And uh, the one time I wasn't there to uh, turn it down, they volunteered me for it. So I've sort of been in that position ever since. Well, we kind of have the joke out here that says it's either got to find your replacement or you got to die. So sometimes that's the only way out, right? Uh, yes. And uh, I know exactly how that feels. I, I try to give them two years warning and, and they know at this point now when I say that uh, in two years I'm done, they know I mean it. They better start scurrying around and figuring out who's going to fill the hole in two years. So. <laughs> Fair enough. So with all your years in the senior league, can you share with us some of the war stories and rivalries from that league? Well, rivalries in that league, Fredericton versus anybody. <laughs> I mean, it's just, the, it's the capital city. They're perennial, I won't say favorites, but they're always in the hunt every year. Even when, you know, it's expected to be a rebuilding year or something, they're still there. You know, they've, they've just always been a strong team, been able to put things together when they needed to. A lot of passion on that team. You know, there's a that's a huge rivalry when anybody plays Fredericton, uh, including the PEI Charlottetown. They're doubleheaders when they play Charlottetown just because of the distance. You know, it's not uncommon for things to get even testy between those two teams. The rivalry is just top notch. I mean, it makes it makes it easier for easier to umpire the ball game when it's a whole hum game. They're difficult to stay in, but there's there's none of that in this league at all. War stories. Oh, my, my, my. I'll tell you one that stands out to me, and, and Miles and I kind of have a good laugh about this every now and then because it was a playoff game in Chatham. Chatham was, I think they were up by a game in the series 3-2, something like that. Literally last pitch of the game. Chatham's losing at this point, bottom of the seventh. It's down low, batter swings. I have no idea if it was caught cleanly or not. Catcher Mike Ivey, actually, is who it was, turns around and he says, I got the ball, Dave. I said, Mike, I don't know if you caught it, but, but I caught it. Mike, I don't know if you caught it or not. And he looks at me, but at this point, the runner is gone. He's headed towards first, and he finally clues in. Oh, I got to throw it first. I'm thinking, veteran catcher, he's going to throw a bullet to first. Game's going to be over. Throws it in right field. <laughs> first run comes in, would tie the game. Second run comes in. Chatham thinks they've won the game. Well, at least the fans do. Right. I've got to bring my guys in, the umpires. Bring him in. Did you see whether he caught the ball? Both of them. Yep. Clean catch. So I'm thinking, okay, this means game's over. Right. They're going They're going to Monk because Monkton wins the game. In the end, I knew it was right because Greg Morris, veteran manager, he just comes in slowly from third base. He hadn't moved. He hadn't screamed. He hadn't hollered. He hadn't yep. anything. He just slowly walks in after I said the game's over. You know, it's out. He just asked me what happened. I told him. But in the meantime, the, 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 everyone in the crowd has thought the game is over, but they thought Chatham had won. Right. Well, the word starts getting around that, no, the game's over, <laughs> but Moncton has won. So we have to walk out through the crowd to get outside. And it was it was pretty good. So we get outside and we're walking back over to the uh, to the vehicles. And I said to, said to Miles, I said, you glad that was me out there, not you? Yep. Because, <laughs> like, I mean, it just, oh yeah, just the, the atmosphere. I mean, because everybody knows everybody, even, even. Those of us from away, they all know who we are, but 
that was one there. And I, I just, I remember when it was all said and done, the first thing I thought was we have to walk out through the crowd to get out of here. And like you said, it's very cozy. There's only a little funnel that goes in out through behind the backstop to get everybody out through the, the clubhouse underneath it. And it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty interesting. Well, you're still here to talk to me today. So you made it out all right, I assume. Well, you know what? And that's the one thing I will say about the people in Chatham. They know their ball. They may not like the call. Right. But if it's right, if it's the correct call, they, you know, they know it. They may not like it. Right. But there's always going to be 50% of the people don't like it. Right. And I think to the locals, the integrity of the game is more important than winning the game. Yep. No question. I think you'll find that that's one thing in that league. They are all like that. They understand it. Knowledgeable fans. And at the end of the day, that's what matters is uh, it, the game is played. You know, the rightful winner wins. And that's how you have to approach it. Because as fans, the next week, it could be your team on the other end of the spectrum. Yep. Now let's get into some of your national experiences. You mentioned that you've been involved with a variation of 25 different championships. Can you share with us your first championship and your experience? My very first was what they called back then the Cavendish Farms Pee Wee National Championship in, in Summerside. That's when Summerside had it, what, 10 years in a row? They had it for a long time. Yeah, it, it was pretty much. Yeah, I would say it was probably close to 10 years. It was a few years before I went and it was for quite a few years afterwards as well. One thing I do remember about that after I went, uh, their their webpage had a picture of me up in the <laughs> their little loco for the longest time. I think it was Luke Obey or somebody like that noticed it and pointed it out. <laughs> As you know, you know me, and for those that don't have a physical uh, picture of me, I, I strike a, a pose in a crowd. I kind of stand out, so I'm quite unique in the way I'm shaped. So, <laughs> so yeah, that was my first. That would have been 97. Wow. Long time ago. A long, that is a long <laughs> time ago. But I'm sure that's a lot of good memories ago as well. Oh, you are right. You are right. Funny, my wife says that to me a lot too. You are right. But Dave, what is your favorite championship? Ugh, they're all different for different reasons. From sheer fun. You know, I'll, I'll be honest. I haven't been to one where it hasn't been fun. That's a good thing. If it wasn't fun, I think I would have gotten out of this a long time ago. You know, it, it's true. I've That's one of the talks I've had with different umpires over the years, whether it be as an umpire talking to another umpire or as a supervisor. If you're not having fun... You may want to sit down and kind of reassess where you're headed just because that's what it's all about. The camaraderie. I mean, it, it's serious. When you're between the lines and you're out there on the field, it, it's 100% baseball. But when you're off the field, it's all about making friends, meeting new people, making memories, and having fun. Plain and simple to me. Dave, I couldn't agree with you more. A lot of people get into it because, one, they want a few bucks. But the money yep, is... starting out doesn't keep us there. Nope, I not at all. I haven't met anybody after they get into the national program that honestly says that the money is what's keeping them there. Well, and you know, I, I always I always had a, a, an inkling. I've, I said it for many years that I'm quite sure umpiring costs me money. <laughs> costs me money, I and, know that for sure. And the first year that I didn't umpire uh, because of injury, I, I basically had to retire due to uh, bad knees. The first year after I stopped on field was the first summer I remember actually having cash in my pocket when I would go somewhere. <laughs> I didn't have to pull the plastic out every time. So it said to me right then and there, umpiring cost me money. <laughs> I would 100% agree with you. My wife looks at 
credit card <laughs> statement every summer and goes like, where's all this money going? Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that was my first. I mean, I've had fun at it. Like I say, every single one of them. I'm looking at the list here in front of me. What are they? And uh, sure, them. Oi, oi, oi! How do you want me to break it down? I'm a, I'm a numbers guy. If you ask the if you ask the guys, okay. <laughs> I have spreadsheets coming out my yin yang. <laughs> well, I mean, we we know you've been to a 13. You you've worked your way right up through the system, right from the base, haven't you? A 13. You. Yeah, I've done uh, 13. You. Uh, well, between between umpiring and supervising, I have five of those: three bantams or 15. You two midgets which is 18U, two juniors, which is the 21U, Canada Games, uh, four, four senior, uh, World Youth in 2010 uh, in Thunder Bay, and four university nationals. Two as an umpire and two as a supervisor. Now, you mentioned Canada Games in there. Where was your Canada Games? And for people listening, that's a special tournament because you get to go to it once. Unless you get knocked out or something like that, literally. Right. Then uh, if you if you don't complete the tournament, they've made exceptions, but otherwise it's a it's a once only, one and done. Now, Dave, where was your Canada Games? Uh, it was in London, Ontario. Uh, it was held at uh, for the most part. Uh, we stayed at the University of Western Ontario. So that was a great. That was my first real, if you want to call it, big tournament. You had to go through security and have credentials, and you couldn't get into the building without showing your credentials and all those kind of things. That was kind of like, you know, you have the vision of a young kid standing in Times Square or at your favorite major league park looking around. And, uh, you know, we were at uh, Labatt Park, which was my first live national television, tele televised game was from Labatt Park. It was uh, really, uh, it was a really big experience. And when it comes to Labatt Park, it's a storied park on the Baseball Canada circuit. A lot of national championships yeah. have been played there. And a couple of years back, I believe it was also voted the top park in baseball Canada. Yeah. So we wouldn't be lying when we say that there has been a lot of good baseball Canada games played at that park yeah. over the years. Yep, there has been. Do you remember who was on your crew at that Canada games? Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, oh, yes. Perry, Perry, <laughs> Perry Rusi from British Columbia. Okay. <laughs> and... Uh, the uh, very renowned uh, David Buckingham. Bucky makes it on the show again. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we call it the Bucky rule where you alluded to get the opportunity to return to a Canada Games. Right. That was uh, Bucky actually didn't finish the tournament. Was it because you got the Bucky squeeze or? No, but uh, no, Bucky got his bell rung and he went down. <laughs> I mean, he went down. It was scary, actually. Perry and I finished the game together, just two of us. Bucky did himself get squeezed when he went down. It was one thing he was worried about. <laughs> <laughs> he went down in a heap. But uh, yeah, it was, it was actually, you know, really, for many years, that was one of the scariest things that ever had happened to me on a field. I was doing first base and uh, he got hit. Just stepped back to the uh, to the cutout. Yeah, went down to one knee and then just sort of folded. Interesting. Which, yeah, and like it was, it, it looked like a nothing. Just you know, just looked like a ball had gotten through, and uh, he didn't remember anything for quite a while after that. So it was you know a true concussion, and uh, he uh, he talks about it, what he remembers of it. It was uh, probably the the scariest thing that had happened to me on a field while I was umpiring. No question, that does sound scary. And it's good to hear that Bucky's doing well after all these years. He is a lifetime member, after all. Yeah. Of the Baseball Canada program. 
and we're very fortunate for everything he's done for us. Oh man, yeah, he's a uh, you know he's a uh, he's a treasure. He's a treasure. More ways than one. <laughs> <laughs> well, for anyone wanting to hear more about Bucky, tune in to episode five where we sit down with Trevor Drury, and he will explain to you the Bucky squeeze. <laughs> Taking this opportunity to move on, after all these years and this many championships, do you have any memorable Sunday assignments? There's there's two. I guess my first one was uh, the Pee Wees when I got uh, I was assigned the plate in the gold medal game. Funny little story about that. Many people don't realize this, but I was an extremely diehard F1 fan, especially in the 90s with uh, Jacques Villeneuve was my guy. The only possible way that I could see the race, which because it was coming right down to the wire between uh, Villeneuve and Schumacher, was if I were assigned to the plate in the gold medal game because the only person to work one game was the plate in the gold medal game. Right. So when the assignments were passed out, I looked and I saw my name right at the top of the list. I thought was in chronological order. <laughs> so as soon as I seen my name in the top left-hand corner. Yep. I just set it down. I was disappointed because I couldn't watch the race. Well, that's because in Atlantic Canada, doesn't the F1 race come on at what, 6.30 a.m.? Uh, it comes on a little bit later than that usually, especially when it's in uh, uh, Europe. It'll come on about 8, eight 9 o'clock in the morning. So okay. anyway, as soon as I seen that, I set the list down. Didn't even look to see where my second game was. Right. So after about 10 or 15 minutes, I thought, well, sh shoot, when is my next game? So I got looking and I wasn't even reading like what the assignments, wh what games they were. I was just looking for my other, my name, some results, and I couldn't find it. And all of a sudden I looked over and seen, well, that's the gold medal game played. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just, I was just so excited. I could watch the, <laughs> I could watch the race. It didn't even sink into me what had happened. So uh, it was funny, and then all of a sudden, like everyone's congratulating me, and then all of a sudden, it sits in, it sinks in right. that, that you know what had happened because that was the last thing in the world. I mean, it, you know, I never thought that I was ever going to get a plate in a gold medal game, let alone that particular tournament. The other one that really stands out to me is 2007, I want to say, single site in Quebec City. I had gone, that was senior championship I was assigned to, but we were, we ended up working in the selects as well because I don't know what kind of bad luck, unfortunately, the selects tournament had, but they had actually lost three umpires, an entire crew. Oh, wow. So what they, what they did because where the senior was there the same week, they actually took our crews and rotated them in. So everybody did at least one game as a crew. So you were assigned to actually to do a game in the selects. Uh, that particular tournament, the year before I was at the seniors as well, and I didn't have a very good tournament. You know, it just, it, it happens. Just didn't, just didn't work out for me. Uh, you know, very fair assignments and everything. As you know, that uh, 2007, the, the following year, I got the bronze plate. For me, that was sort of a redemption. It wasn't that I went there. I never go to a tournament looking for a particular assignment. I go do my best. Right. You know, each each year depends on who's there. Everything is relative. Right. When I show up, it depends on who else is there. Uh, got, you know, you got you know, five or six well, games to prove yourself, essentially. Yep. And uh, you know, and you know, that was a that was a lot of good guys at that tournament that year. Trevor Grieve, you know, guys like that. It was a, it was and. Uh, to get the the bronze plate, I, it's probably the one I hold the nearest and dearest. Even though you know I did have a plate in a gold medal game, the, the bronze at the senior. Well, let's be honest here, Dave. Senior championship is the pinnacle of baseball in Canada. It's the Open Championship. 
It's the 10 best teams from across yep. this country yep. vying to become a national champion. And uh, you're, you're correct. You know, it's it's men. Some of them have played professional baseball before. Some, a lot of college guys. Uh, it's it's good baseball. And, you know, I was I was really happy. Funny little story there. My first game I did, I had been doing a scissor. And I, I, I'll blame Andrew Higgins for that. But I was using a scissor. First uh, game, reviews weren't so great. <laughs> right. So uh, John Oka was a, uh, supervising my second game on the plate. And I said to him, I didn't say to him, I said to myself, I'm going to try a box dance for an inning. See how it goes. Hadn't used it in years. If it's not comfortable, I'm going back to the scissors because that's not fair to anyone else right. to try. You know, it's not the place to be experimenting. But you have to take your feedback as you get it. Went out, felt good, continued on, finished the game with the box. Oko had no clue that I hadn't been using it for, when I told him afterwards, he was really surprised. You know, obviously it, it made a difference because, you know, I, I didn't get my assignment on the final day based on my first one. Had to have been something I did in the second one. So it's important to take the feedback. But if it wasn't working, then, you know, you go back to what you've been doing because nobody gets there to that level without doing something right along the way. Yeah, you didn't get, you know, you know, just don't put pull names out of a hat. So you've performed to get there. You know, when they're tweaking things, it's not the time to, uh, you know, go out and try to reinvent the wheel. It just worked, and you know, it was kind of a fun little story when I look back on it. Kind of part of the reason I think I hold that that assignment quite near and dear was to take that feedback, use it, and you know, obviously better my performance from the first uh, the first game. So is it safe to say you've retired the scissor stands after that? Yeah. Do yep. you, know, you know anybody else that still uses the scissor stands here in 2020? Well, I'll tell you, I haven't seen him on the plate in a bit, but I think Dave Buckingham may. Oh. <laughs> I, I could be wrong, but I think Bucky uses it. Um, Kent Walker. Yeah. Oh, yes. And you know what? I, I've said <laughs> each time I supervise Kent because it, PEI is uh, is within the New Brunswick League. So I, I usually go over and do a few games, supervise a few games over there. And the first thing I lead off with is I'm going to mention it, but I'm not expecting you're going to change at this point. But, <laughs> you know, the scissor stance, you know, it's kind of passe now. But. <laughs> but that's another case of, you know what, he makes it work. Sometimes some of the calls look so pretty when a guy's down on, oh, yeah. you know, it's, it's not correct at all. I will not say do it. I will not. But it does look pretty at times. I have visions. I was doing a plate and remember looking back and, uh, Seeing Bucky at home plate while I'm down at third, well, he's he's come in from first and down on one knee making the call at the plate yeah. at the, the Canada game. It looks pretty. It does. But it's not very good for mechanics. <laughs> it's pretty hard to uh, swing or do any type of rotation when you're on one knee. I guess if it works for you, go with it. <clears throat> yeah, I know what you mean. You know, we just don't teach it that way anymore. No. no. Sometimes the old dogs are hard to try to uh, get to adjust certain things and, hey, I'm guilty on some of that stuff myself. I think we all are. Now, Dave, you say you've supervised multiple championships over the years. Are there any umpires in your mind that really stand out? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, starting right off uh, top of the list, I have to say Lisa Turbot, probably hands down, if not the best, one of the best female umpires in, in, the, in the world. Right. And, and I hate to even label female on it, because she's one of the best umpires in this country, plain and simple. I mean, she, I've supervised her at seniors, at juniors, and I believe, I, I know that she's gotten at least a bronze plate in a junior, and I think also senior. Uh, you know, like, she is... Didn't she work the 
gold medal played at the 2011 men's national championship in Miramichi? I, I think it was Dave Lavarado, the late okay. Dave, Dave, Dave Lavarado, okay. I believe. Because kind of a, a little funny story there is we were handing things out at the restaurant. Dave was so stunned that he got up and left and forgot to pay his bill. Fair enough. <laughs> so I, but I, I could, hey, I, I I've been wrong before. No, you could be right, Dave. And I stand corrected because the reason why I think that is in 2011, that tournament was hosted at Miramichi. And of course, I was back there then. Lisa worked the bronze medal game. And at the tournament, due to weather, they actually moved the championship to Monday. Now, to set the stage for that tournament, the host, Chatham, was actually in the bronze medal game. And they were playing Team New Brunswick, which was Fredericton. And as we've discussed, is quite the rivalry. So they moved that game to make it the feature game at 8 o'clock and actually played the gold medal game prior to it for the hometown fans so they would get the gate. And I believe Lisa was on that game. And that's why it stands out to me. Now, when we go to championships, if you want a championship game, then at the 2011 Senior Men's Nationals, the bronze medal game would have been the game to do. Now, if memory serves me correctly, I believe... Ron Chuchuk was also doing that game, and he tells a fantastic story about a home run ball that was hit and the intensity that soon followed. Now, Lisa's been mentioned on multiple episodes of The Leading Edge. She is. She's a member of the WBSC committee. She was supposed to be the lead supervisor at the 15U International Championships this year. She was going to... Was it a w, World Baseball Classic qualifier? I get them mixed up sometimes. Yeah, I believe, yeah, in Asia somewhere. So it might have been, uh, been Japan, might have been Taiwan. Or yeah, Taipei. Yeah, so she was Yeah, that well, she was the the WBSC, but the, then there was another one she got assigned to in Arizona, and then of course the whole COVID yeah. stopped the world thing. Yeah, <laughs> and that's you know, where we are today. Lisa's one of my great friends, and uh, I'll I text her a lot, uh, especially uh, especially for up late at night at a baseball event or something, and you never know where she's going to be at. Right. You know, it's it's uh, it's great, but yeah, I mean, Lisa, as I said, uh, Dave Lavarado, the late Dave, Do- uh, Dave, Doctor Dave, um, uh, you know, I, geez, bunch of the names, Jim Cressman, uh, Ron Suchuk, both both guys been to the Olympics. Oh yeah, uh, well, uh, Don Gilbert. Yep. You know, I, I didn't get to I didn't get to supervise Don, uh, supervised by Don. Uh, you know, Corey Davis. Mm-hmm. World baseball uh, class. John, <laughs> uh, John Oko, uh, World, yep. uh, Ed Quinlan, uh, you know, Ray Merkley, you know, Blair Haynes, right. just all, you know, it's just, I, I've been so fortunate that I, you know, obviously I hate saying names because Rob Allen, uh, you know, there's just so many people across this country that are so good. Trevor Grieve. You know, you're, I'm, I'm forgetting people, I mean, and I feel terrible about naming the names. But uh, you know, well, you know, as you mentioned earlier, Kent Walker, who's someone that's been to a couple of, I, at least one, maybe two internationals, and in, uh, you know, from the Maritimes here. Uh, right, Andrew and, Downs. Jeez, uh, it just goes on and on and on. I, I and we could go on and on. Aaron Scott. <laughs> yeah, we and we could go on and on. And the one interesting thing about this, as I listen. You have essentially named a person from every one of the provinces here in Canada, except Saskatchewan, not to hold it against you. But essentially... Elmer Elmer Jerkovitz. Elmer, there we go. So you've had the opportunity to be a part of a national program at a national championship level and work with 
umpires from coast to coast. Yes. It doesn't get any better than that, I don't think. Oh, no. I mean, I, I use a line that uh, we kind of laughed about years ago, but uh, I think it was Sammy Sosa that said, uh, you know, baseball have been a betty, betty good to me. Right. And it has. Uh, I've been to all 10 provinces through baseball. You know, it, it's I've seen so many people. I've been to every capital city in the country through baseball. Uh, met so many people that I would have never ever met who are very near and dear friends of mine to this day and will be going forward. I mean, yes, we're spread out of the country. We don't get to see one, uh, one another very often, but uh, that's the nice thing with, with the sport is when, you know, like I said, when, when they, they were in, you know, the, the seniors were in Chatham, I wasn't away anywheres. You know, I take the drive up because it's, it's the people it's, it's all about the people. hundred percent you know, McDad Jaffer, another one that comes to mind is Scott Mills, you know, it just, uh, from Quebec. I mean, all kinds of great guys there too. And Oog Lafernier, Sebastian Gagnon, Patrick, uh, uh not Patrick, uh, Jonathan Fillion, you know, just some of these guys from all over the country. Right. Yeah. And the idea of, the idea of name dropping wasn't so much to make you feel bad that you're missing somebody, but was to highlight that experience of the trans Canada, essentially yeah. of umpiring. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's great. Some of the people, it's just phenomenal that, that I've got to meet. And, uh, you know, they're all wonderful people. And, and you have that one thing in common and a thousand things that aren't in common, but it all brings you together. Uh, Gilles Taillon, another one. Salt of the earth man. Now, Dave, we also know you have the international experience. You've got to venture outside of Canada per se. What tournament did you attend? Yeah, the world, yeah, okay. world youth. We in Canada they would call it the world junior, but it's technically the world youth in 2010. Yeah, where was that? That was in Thunder Bay, Ontario, right in your home country too. Home country, but it was it was uh, it was north. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the baseball Canada pathway now is you work national championships, you get recommended to the tournament 12, you go to the tournament 12, you get a recommendation to potentially move on to the world championship level. That's changed over the past couple of years, and that changed after 2010. Dave, could you share with us how you got to Thunder Bay? Yeah, well, back then, it was, uh, you know, we had our national committee. It was made up of supervisors from each province. So what would happen is you would go to your tournaments every year uh, as those supervisors would meet uh, annually in the fall. Uh, the discussions came up about, uh, you know, everybody that qualified because you had to have a particular number of tournaments at each level uh, to even qualify to be considered for a junior or and then you had to do a junior tournament at the world level before you could do a senior. So they had the two lists that would be discussed. Uh, in my case, I was a provincial supervisor. So whenever my name was discussed, or you know, we'll use Trevor as an example, whenever he was discussed, we'd have to leave the room. So we weren't involved in any discussions on ourselves. But then after all the provincial supervisors weighed in, then the national supervisor and his assistant. So we used to have an assistant supervisor nationally. They would get together and come up with a list. They'd bring the list back, and the first person on the list got the first assignment, the second person on the list got the next assignment, and so on. In my case, I actually was the alternate for my year. There was literally, we'll say, last minute. And when I say that, I don't know if, you, if you'd like the little story behind it, but I got a call on a... Actually, we worked at the Selects Atlantic Tournament in, in Miramichi, got home Sunday night. Monday morning, the phone rings. Andre Lachance from Baseball Canada. Are you still available to go to the Worlds? Yeah, no problem. 
Yes. That's a that's a Monday morning. So over the next couple of days, literally, they had uh, to sort some stuff out because it was it, it come down to a visa issue. There's politics involved, which are way above us. Nothing to worry about. There were some people that weren't able to make it. So Andre calls me about 10 o'clock Wednesday morning. When can you get out of Fredericton? I said, well realistically i can get out in a couple hours but you know can i fly out at five <laughs> so i literally got the call 100 percent, 10 o'clock wednesday morning i was on a plane by five in thunder bay that night wow so it was uh literally quick kind of like dr dave didn't really have time to digest it or what kind of yeah like i was literally i'd get i talked to Corey uh that monday night and that tuesday night uh over the phone just he was trying to keep me updated because what complicated things was ibaf as it was known back then is situated in Switzerland. So tournament is in uh, Thunder Bay. So there's like six time zones difference between uh, Switzerland and there. So they're trying to deal with this as people are on airplanes flying over the Atlantic and everything. It was literally a last minute, uh, you know, as I'm getting up, they're going to bed kind of thing. Sort of like you and I. Right. Right. <laughs> so so it, it took a while to uh, get that situated. And, and like I said, it was about 10 o'clock on the Wednesday morning. I found out what is going Wednesday, that same day. Wow. How excited were you on that plane? You know what? It hadn't sunk in at that point. It was literally that quick. I, I knew the magnitude of it, which was part of what, uh, you know, our conversations with Corey and I were sort of, you know, trying to keep things in check. So I didn't get excited with uh, that much uh you know, it, it, the prep time just wasn't there. I literally walk off from working a selects tournament to find out that I'm, you know, literally a couple of days later going to a, a world youth uh, championship with, you know, probably half of them are playing professional baseball in the somewhere around the world now. So, well, were there any was, big names at that tournament that you can remember? Yeah, the biggest one that comes to me right now is Francisco Lindor. Oh, okay. he's uh, <laughs> a Canadian. <yeah>. <laughs> There were Canadian guys too, but he, he was probably the phenom of the tournament. Between him and the shortstop from uh, Chinese Taipei, okay, they were the phenoms, like the standouts. Uh, I was fortunate enough to work, I think, a half a dozen uh, U.S. games, so I got to see a lot of them. He was special then. There was no question about it. First game I worked at first base, I remember uh, a ball hit deep into the, the hole, what I thought was the hole between the shortstop and the third baseman. He was tracking back towards the bullpen and come up with the ball on the grass. I figured, not a chance. He's <laughs> even going to throw it. I see him plant and make the throw, and I'm looking at the runner coming from the plate. There might be a play here. <laughs> by the time it was all said and done, he had him by a step and a half. It was unreal. And that was my that opened my eyes right then and there as to this is not the same baseball I'm accustomed to at home. We found out that at first base there weren't a whole lot. There were some close calls, but where there was a close call was generally at second base when they tried to stretch it. It was uh, you know uh, I think Trevor alluded to uh, Frank uh, from France. Right. I called him Frank Frankie Toulouse. He was from Toulouse, France. Okay. But I started calling him Frankie Toulouse because his first game at second base, he must have had five or six bangers. So I started calling him Frankie Toulouse. So Frankie Toulouse. Kind of like that. <laughs> Frank from France is officially known as Frankie Toulouse now. <laughs> yes, it was in the right. It was Frank. It was Frank. <laughs> F-A-R-N-C-K, Frank. <laughs> Great guy, though. What was your biggest takeaway from that tournament? Well, one of my one of the big takeaways was a is baseball is international. Uh, you know, there's <laughs> yeah. no question about that. We all speak or most of us speak different languages, but the game itself is the same. Okay, which was was interesting because you know you know we we don't necessarily think of baseball as much being outside of North America, you know Asia. Surprisingly, like you know throughout Europe, 
Africa, those countries, they've got baseball. But from a personal level, I really felt like I learned a lot from the whole experience in sort of grounding myself, you know, how important it is to take the little things and implement them, which can make a huge difference. So it was, uh, like I said, between the lines, 100% baseball, off the, uh, the field, lots of fun. Now, Dave, you come back from that championship, it's 2010, and you are awarded the Dick Willis Umpire of the Year Award. Yes. Now, I'm not looking to bring Trevor up again, but I have to. He kind of set you up about a story in a cartwheel in a pool. <laughs> Do you want this opportunity to defend yourself? No, he got it pretty, he was pretty close. Yeah, he was pretty spot on. I was reliving it. Reliving it. <laughs> he was, he was telling it. Funny thing about that is, is I think I sent him a, sent a, I sent a few guys uh, from that particular uh, gathering in Richmond. Uh, last September, uh, my wife and I and, our, and my in-laws went on an Alaskan cruise and we stayed at the hotel in Richmond. And it was probably a couple of days before it struck me that right across the street from where we were staying was the particular hotel in question. Oh. <laughs> I guess I have to ask, did you go back and ask for a hotel key for old time's sake? No, I took a picture uh, of the hotel and sent it to the folks and asked them if uh, this brings back any type of memories to anybody. But yeah, that was uh, that was pretty funny. That was a great night. I had a little bit of Newfoundland in me that I had taken with me and uh, <laughs> it was cold. Uh, surprisingly, it was warm that day, but I hadn't realized that it rained three or four days uh, before we arrived. So the, the outdoor pool November in Richmond, BC isn't as warm as it looked. Even the, the people at the desk, when I went to get a new key, because Trevor was right, he was the one that I was trying to find my key. He was the only one that noticed it was still in the bottom of the pool. <laughs> And uh, when I went to the desk sheepishly to get a key, I said, uh, I lost my key. Well, I said, I think I know where it is, but I'm not going to get it. And the guy <laughs> kind of looked at me and he said, is it in the bottom of the pool? <laughs> I said, maybe. So, yeah, it was, it was pretty good. That was uh, started the tradition of that a few years before that in uh, Brandon. But uh, that was the culmination. The knees can't, knees can't take it anymore. Trevor <laughs> didn't tell us how you ended up in the pool, though, besides the cartwheel, like, where did the idea that was it from? i i was i pulled the cartwheel into the pool just randomly um hi i'm dave cass i'm just gonna walk by this pool and cartwheel into it or no i don't think it was random there was generally uh most events uh at some point there was a request for a uh cartwheel okay that particular evening there was a request and i thought i would up the ante a little bit you know not the generic uh cartwheel uh you know, in a ballroom or something like that, I thought I would take it up a step. And it was a big night. And, uh, well, obviously it was memorable. Well, ten years later, we're still <laughs> talking about it here on The Leading Edge, right? Uh, that's right, yeah. The story that will never die. Now, winning the Dick Willis Award is probably a highlight for any umpire here in Canada. Hands down. To get that award, you had to have done a lot of things right over the years. Now, would I be wrong to say that you might have made a mistake or two over the journey? No question. Would you be willing to share with us a mistake you might have made along the way and how you use that to improve and get better? One that comes up to me that, uh, which I use it as an example because it's always easier when you can throw your, or not throw yourself into it, but you can use yourself as an example of where you've gone wrong. And it throws me back many years and I learned uh, this early on and it kind of goes back to what I said about you need to be on your game 100% when you're between the white lines. Uh, working a, a junior ball game in Fredericton many, many, many years ago. I, I couldn't even guess at what year it was. But I remember Jamie Moore and I were working the game. I had the wrong number of outs. Had runners at 
first and second. No, actually, just a runner at second base. Ball is hit to the short side, short stop side of uh, second base. I think there's two out. Throw goes to first, gets the batter runner. My head, three outs. I've given up on it at this point because there's three outs. There's nothing more. Right. All I see is the first baseman come up, firing a bullet over my head to third base. <laughs> I don't even turn around. When I finally do turn around, and, and you probably remember the old Royals field before they put in the grass. It was like, it was a dust bowl. Mm -hmm. uh, it could be. Uh, we get hot summers here in Fredericton. And very fine it, dust. It turns just, just like flour. So anyways, I look over, there's this huge cloud of dust at third base, finally settles. The runner is head first in with his hand on the base. Third baseman's there with his glove down on the ground, on, on his hand. And I said, there's three outs. And they all look at me and go, no, there's only two. The first thing I do is I look to the plate to Jamie. He just gives me a, sh a little shrug, like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so I turn around. I have zero clue. So the only thing I can do is stay safe. The shortstop jumps up and down. He's like, how can you call him safe? How can you call him safe? And I just looked straight in his eyes and said, I didn't see it. So to that point and to this day, I have no idea whether he was safe or out. After that play, four runs score. In the end, it corrected itself because the game was won by more than, uh, you know, 10 runs make a difference in the outcome of the game no could it have yeah damn straight it could have ultimately it was because i wasn't paying attention enough to what i should have been from that point on i learned that was one thing that hit me immediately because that bothered me i could rationalize that the game wasn't affected by my mistake it was clearly a mistake but it could have you know game even even progressed an extra inning beyond the fifth inning because it didn't mercy that could have affected you know someone's pitching ability for another game anything like that so right. everything we do has consequences that was one that you know really that, that was early on in my career and it said to me you know it, it showed me how important just a momentary lapse could have such huge uh consequences luckily at the end it didn't affect the outcome you know, I, I carried that into all my games going after that. It was so important. And, and I, you know, I use that as an example because people say, you know, you look at the resume or whatever, and sometimes people just think, you know, you just walked on the field and, yeah. you know, that happened. No, I learned from my mistakes along the way. You know, I've made mistakes, you know, game management mistakes. I don't think I've ever had a rule mistake that affected anything. I, I, there have been times where I've misconceptions of a rule in my head. Right. But as far as an application in a game that affected anything, I've had a couple times where the, I've had protests where we've been correct. And, and you always hope that you, you do everything. And, and that's one of the things that we we I, I don't want to say preach, but we really with the with the supervision in the senior league. That's one thing the teams understand that if there's a question about a rule on the field, the umpires are going to come to the supervisor and we're going to sort it out ahead. of You know, we're going to sort it out because we want to get it right right now. We don't want to even bother worrying about a protest to do what, what, what might've happened. You don't want to get to that point. We'll fix it right now. We're going to stop. You know, if, if there's a question about a rule or anything, we're going to stop right then. We'll have a conference. We're going to get it right. You know, I've taken that philosophy forward throughout my career as well. After that, you know, we're not infallible. We're all humans. We can make mistakes. We don't have the luxury of instant replay. We, we have to live with the decisions we make, you know, let's do everything we can to get them right. I couldn't agree with you more, Dave. The important thing in those moments is our integrity is on the line, not as individuals, but as officials and to focus on the purpose of why we're there. Yep.
And these are the moments that game integrity is really important because as officials, we don't represent ourselves. We represent yep. baseball Canada and the game and the rule book in general. Yeah. And, and, you know, you'll gain so much more respect from a manager if you say, I was wrong and we're going to fix it. Sometimes that goes in their favor. Sometimes it goes against them. But even when it goes against them, they'll respect you for getting it right or making it right. And down the road, they know that when, you know, it might have gone for me today, but down the road, if it goes against me, I understand that they're making it right. And, you know, sometimes it was, they say, was it eat, eat crow or whatever? You've got to stand there. You're in front of everybody. Yeah. And you may have made a call and they see you have to either correct or reverse your own call. But at the end of the day, people will know that it's right. And that's where as umpires, that's we have to realize where the game is bigger than the individual. And that's where the real umpires will shine through. And, and you know, and the, and the real people. And I think we try to instill that in, in all the umpires. Get it right. It's the most important thing. Even if it takes 10 minutes, get it right. Couldn't agree more. Okay, Dave, we're going to move into a fun section of the show section we call 10 questions i'm gonna th <laughs> i'm gonna throw 10 random questions at you and i want to hear what your responses are if okay. i if i agree with them you're gonna hear and if we disagree well well we'll see where we go from here okay since you're known to jump in a pool after hours have you ever been arrested no i got no, <laughs> <laughs> got no stories to go with here okay i came close came close i came close and you know what you want to know who was with me <laughs> Ooh. Corey Davis. Oh. <laughs> Corey's dropped on this show somehow every time. He's just nothing but a troublemaker. <laughs> it would have been for noble reasons, but uh, it, I came awful close. Fair enough. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> we can't hold that against you now. We might as well move on. <laughs> Do you believe Sasquatch exists? Yes. I couldn't agree more. Big Sasquatch fan. I brought back Christmas ornaments, uh, I believe, in everything from Alaska when we were there last September. <laughs> I believe in everything. That would have been right up there in Sasquatch country. Yeah. Ice cream or frozen yogurt? Ooh, I like the tanginess of frozen yogurt. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> ice cream's classic. Frozen yogurt. Are you a millennial? You frozen anywhere. yogurt. You, anywhere. you have to search to get the frozen yogurt. <laughs> well, what's your favorite ice cream spot or frozen yogurt spot then? Well, you know what? To be honest with you, my favorite place to get ice cream is on a Carnival cruise ship. Good 24 hours a day. <laughs> do you sing while you drive? Yeah, sometimes I do, yeah. What was the last song you can remember singing when you were driving down the road? Oh, well, an, an Enigma song. An Enigma song. Uh, you, yeah, you're probably not familiar with them. It's sort of uh, electro, techno kind of stuff. It's, uh, it's kind of out there, but uh, it's... Uh... I didn't realize you could <laughs> sing techno. I, you know what, every, almost every genre of music, uh, except for a few, which is, is strange. As you know, here in Frederick, I have a huge jazz, uh, jazz festival, blues and jazz. Yep. Can't stand it. Really? It's one of the, one of the genres of music I, I can't stand. It's, it's not that it's bad music. It's just not my thing. I can listen to just the classical, all kinds of stuff. I'm a man of mystery. There's a lot of things that a lot of people don't know. Yeah. Well, the guy can eat frozen yogurt, but he can't listen to blues music. <laughs> have you ever re-gifted a gift that somebody gave to you? I probably have. Not very often. I put a lot of thought into my gifts. Oh, do you? <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're just as guilty as Seinfeld there from the mid-90s re-gifting it. The label maker. I, I, I've probably, I probably have. I, I can't deny that I have. Haven't, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I probably have. 
An old name that comes back from my Fredericton years is Ricky P. Oh, Ricky uh, Peterson, yes. Yeah, I remember staying in his place one night, umpiring a tournament. Ricky is a sanitation engineer, works at the local landfill. The stuff that he would pull out there and bring home. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. It used to be the, my favorite was the set it and forget it. He's picked up a few of them. <laughs> Ron Papil. Since we're on the topic of gifts, what is the weirdest gag gift you've ever given someone? Oh, man. Now, on the last episode from Matt Shul, we heard of a blow-up companion named Patty. I've, I've seen Patty. You've seen Patty? I've seen Patty. Is she still alive? <laughs> I know who you could call to find out, but I'm not going to throw the name out there. <laughs> it's an unlisted number. Unlisted number. <laughs> so Patty's still alive. That's a good thing. Now, Dave, you say you've grown up in New Brunswick, born and raised. You must have traveled those back roads lots of times. You ever hit a moose? Hit? No. Almost, yes. Now, almost always have good stories attached to them. Tell us. I'll tell you, the closest I've come, Donnie Esty and I going to PEI uh, almost hit one one night. I was never so uh, happy to see that bridge to the island because yep. I knew there wasn't anything going to walk <laughs> out from that either side of that bridge once we got to it. <laughs> What's the local slang out there for a moose? Swamp donkey. <laughs> What's your favorite board game? Uh, you know what? I'm going to say uh, Battleship. If that's a board game, I don't know oh, if it's yeah. not. But... I wouldn't have expected that one. That's a good one. You know, F3. You sunk my battleship. <laughs> Are you any good at it? Well, how good can you get at it? It's guessing. <laughs> Isn't that what we do as umpires anyways? We just guess. Some days. Hey, yeah. we've had clinics at the at the CIBC or uh, what's it? The CNIB uh, right next door to it in uh, Nordine. Yeah. <laughs> so, so if that doesn't say much, I don't know what does. You've been in the game a long time. Come through a lot of different uniform combinations. Talk that you might have been an NL guy. What's your favorite all-time uniform combination? Powder blue. <laughs> Powder blue and I like the charcoal pant. Oh, yeah. I like charcoal. I think for whatever reason, I'm in the minority on the uh, powder blue, but it is what it is. Uh, I remember the old powder blue button-ups last time I wore them. It was 97, last time we were allowed to. Yeah, the Embelco. We had to wear them out. We were the only crew. We wore them out for one game. I'm, I'm in the minority. With the turtleneck. I've worn it. Oh. I've worn it. I don't necessarily wear the long johns unless I'm on the plate, but uh, I do know somebody that wears those every game base or plate. <laughs> Okay, question 10. Have you ever hacked anyone's MySpace, Twitter, Facebook, or blog account? <laughs> I will say I aided and embedded. I won't say that I hacked, but I was, uh, was in the presence when it was done. In, in good fun, of course. Well, it's always done in good fun, but tell us, how do you aid and embed in a hacking scheme? The person whose account it was, was a huge fan. This is going to kind of date us a bit, but was a huge fan of mad yeah, madmen yep and kind of like me with f1 racing how uh, you know i would you know there was five of us in or five or six of us there were six canadians so six of us in a room together he wanted to watch Mad Men. we were making too much noise so one of them said here's my key go to my room and watch it when he left he had left his count open so they were all someone someone who was very poetic and creative uh started to do some typing and such and they were worried that this person was going to come back and i said look put the tv on mad men he's not coming back until it's over we knew the earliest point that he would come back 
it was it, it was it was hilarious i wish you know i wasn't very technical at the time i wish i had had a screenshot of it it was it's just fantastic and uh so that we didn't get caught because this was in the days when wi-fi was still sketchy Okay. So the hotel would give you a hard wire to put into your computer. Yep. The internet was hit and miss. So I said, just pull it out a little bit, but don't unplug it the whole way. And I said, he'll just think the internet's down for the night. He won't notice till the morning, <laughs> <laughs> which was the case. But we knew when he found out. <laughs> it was in fun. It was all in fun. And I think to this day, he would laugh about it now, but he wasn't real happy at the time. What did you blog about? It had to do with, uh, you know, let's say sort of like a, a blossoming bromance. Oh, and yeah. uh, somewhere along the line about some rituals okay. before the game, possibly with a ceramic throne and, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know the, the pregame poop. And things yeah, like that. Right. So, I mean, it was, it was nothing bad. I mean, no. It yeah. was everybody that read it from what we can tell laughed about it <laughs> well we all have a man we all have a man crush that's that's just how it is yeah uh, you know they were you know sharing a dessert and things like that so it was uh, good clean fun mine's jim wolf i'll put it out there <laughs> now dave i kind of stole your thunder earlier and asking you to name drop a bunch of locals but this section of the show we like to call it local legends who are some of the people that have made the umpire community in your area what it is today well, seeing I've been at it for so long, I'll pick from a few different time eras. Like I said, early on for me, it was uh, Dave McManus got me to where I'm at, him and Neil Thorne, uh, and, and Fran McHugh out of St. John. Right. You know, nowadays, uh, you know, or I guess Andrew Higgins, uh, who was a New Brunswicker mm -hmm. and, is, you know, has sort of been a, to many, he's, he's been many places over the last few years, but originally from uh, St. John, New Brunswick, Andrew was one that really helped me along a uh, little tidbit uh, of uh, useless information, but uh, we had a, a national gold medal uh, game, which I believe was a no hitter for one team and a one hitter for the other. Andrew Higgins was uh, doing uh, left field and I was at third base. So uh, a little tidbit thrown back at there. We were heavy on the third base <laughs> side. You know, Andrew is one that really helped me out. I mean, uh, uh, Mike Doucette, who's done not just umpiring he's you know he's gonna have a baseball field or a park or something named after him at some point uh darren scott obviously you know right. local guys that uh, are still investing back into the program uh just amazingly uh, another one from the modern era or i say the modern era but the current time that's uh, really doing a lot uh, is uh bull uh from uh, brian cummings from miramichi is really uh taken up a lot of that uh, sort of taken over from miles as miles is uh He's retired from his uh, real job, and uh, he's kind of slowing down in what he wants to do. And, uh, you know, he's earned it. He's put in a lot of time, a lot of effort over the years, a lot of heartache at times from, uh, you know, it's tough, in some, especially in the smaller community sometimes, to try to uh, to uh, keep things going and keep the, the upflow from the bottom. So there's some guys there that uh, right. should get a shout out. I'd be lying if I didn't say I gave Miles a few problems over the years, maybe a few heart palpitations, took a few years off his life. But I appreciate everything he's done. You know, it's it's guys it, it is guys like that that help push guys like myself up. Sometimes you have to give the tough love to uh, you know, and at the time we don't necessarily always take it that way. No. But a lot of times we can look at it in retrospect and look back at it and kind of get it. Right. You know what? You guys work together with me supervising a few years ago, same tournament, just like two peas in a pod. Though I think I had to pick you up uh, hitchhiking on the side of the road somewhere in Moncton along the way. <laughs> that is a factual story. You did pick me up at the Cabela's or Bass Pro Shop there in Moncton. 
had flown into Moncton and got a lift across the bridge. But in that tournament, that was the 15U in Cavendish back in 2017. Now, it should be noted that at that tournament, right out of the E1V postal code of Miramichi, New Brunswick, Miles Brito was awarded the gold medal plate. Well, Dave, this essentially concludes this episode of The Leading Edge. I want to thank you for coming on and sharing with us your experience, your stories, and having a few laughs along the way. Now, before you go, I just want to ask, do you have any parting words for us? Well, thanks, Bill. I, I really enjoyed this. This was fun. Like I said, fun is what it's all about for me when it comes to this. Uh, it's what kept me in it for as long as I've been in it. And, uh, you know, I appreciate it. You're doing a great job with this. And uh, I hope you keep it going, uh, COVID or not. Well, thanks, Dave. Appreciate that. Well, just, uh, you know what? Everybody hang in there. Uh, I know for some it's been a little bit tougher. I know you alluded to that early on in the in the podcast. Uh, you know, there are uh, avenues out there if you are having uh, a tough time. Speaking personally from someone who's suffered with PTSD for many years. And uh, you know what? The best thing I ever did was finally talk to somebody about it and go to a doctor. And uh, you know what, uh, if, if you are having trouble, it's normal. And like Phil said, there are avenues and you know, you'll probably put some links for that uh, that you can get uh, in touch with. So keep up the good work, Phil. Well, that concludes this episode of The Leading Edge, where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. Join us on our next episode, where we talk with current Canadian MILB umpire and a guy that struggles when he tries to do the Macarena, Kevin Manzik. But before you go, we would like to leave you with this. A typical happening of baseball consists of three outs. Unless, of course, the defense successfully appeals for the advantageous fourth out. Take care, everybody, and stay safe.